Before we get started this morning, um, I don't know if I'm assuming it's the same with you as it has been for me for the last 24 hours. It's been very painful to watch the news and listen to the news, the two mass shootings in our country. And so I, I want to say, obviously I'm human, I don't have all the answers, but I do know the root, the scriptures give us the root of the problem, is that is when we fail to see other humans the way God sees other humans. And so God has made us precious in his very image. That is the greatest thing about you. That is greater than your race, the color of your skin, the amount of money you make, anything else you want to identify yourself with. The greatest thing that can be said about you is that you are precious and made in the very image of the living God. When we see others that way, no matter of their political leanings, no matter of their money, of their job, of their looks, of their skin color, of their gender, we wipe, you're way more than all those things. And so this morning, as a reminder to us, whether it's a stranger <laughs> or a friend, I want you to first look to your right and tell that person you are made in the very image of the living God and are precious. And then I want you to look to your left and say the same thing. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 We are, see, when we do that, it's a lot harder to harm that person, is it not? Yeah. So let's all be in prayer of, I thought, come Lord Jesus. This is a, is ever a thought that we are not depraved? You know, when we, we think about depravity, Sometimes we, when we hear we're born totally depraved sinners, we, we think sometimes that's a little excessive, but it's not. It's true for all of us. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9. Luke 9 has been incredible. I didn't know there were that many sermons in Luke 9. <laughs> Until we begin to open it, we continue this uh, small series called The Lord and His Followers. And this morning, we're going to get to see the ultimate close encounter. Now, some of you aren't old enough to remember, but as a teenager, I remember seeing the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Do I hear some amens in here? Produced in 1977 by Steven Spielberg. This movie tells the story of a young man named Roy Neary, an everyday blue-collar worker in Indiana whose life was changed after a personal encounter with a UFO, unidentified flying object. And just for those of you that want to know, my senior year in high school, I did a research paper on UFOs. So if you have any questions, uh, 
I'm your guy. In honors, advanced honors English. These kinds of movies and books do, though, tease our imaginations with the possibility of experiencing the supernatural realm. The root of this curiosity is a search for meaning as we hope that something, anything, transcends our otherwise pointless existence. Oh, and it's big business because it touches at some of the deep roots of human nature, some of our deepest needs, like the need to know we are not alone and the need to matter to something greater than ourselves. This is a universal human instinct, and it screams, there's got to be more than this material world. Our text this morning, in all of its beauty, is the ultimate close encounter in Luke 9, 28 through 36. And it tells us there is more. There's absolutely with great certainty more than what you and I see and feel and touch. And it does have great potential if we'll sink our teeth into it to change our lives. To get our text this morning, though, the context is huge here. Sometimes context means a little. It always is good, right? Sometimes, though, it has a, a small impact on a text or it has a great impact. This morning, it has a big impact on our text. So, so we look at context. We go back and look at the verses before. Because our text this morning is about what the Bible calls the transfiguration. It is the most important event in the birth, between the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. So to really get this, let's look at the verses before. Last week, Chad did an incredible job in Luke 9, 23 through 27, where Jesus told the disciples that what they were expecting of life with him was backwards, that they had it wrong. Because remember, they thought that Jesus would leave them or lead them to overthrow Rome, to undo corrupt Jerusalem, and that they were going to uh, return Jerusalem and Israel to its glory days. They thought they were going to the big house to be large and in charge. Matter of fact, Jesus' agenda to them to pick up your cross and follow me. That he would suffer and die and that he was calling them to do the same thing was shocking to them. This certainly threw a wrench into the machinery of their souls. And in that doubt and fear and confusion filled them. So then our context, as we go down just a little bit from Chad's passage in verse 26, Jesus then speaks of his second coming and all his glory, he says, he's coming. And in verse 27, he says this, but I am telling you, I am telling you before my second coming, I am telling you the un unadulterated truth. There are some of you here today standing here today, who will not die until you see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, some of you here that are listening to me 
we'll see a private preview of the kingdom of God. A glimpse of me, Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, power, and glory, a peek behind the curtain of eternity so you'll believe all that I have said, all that I will say in the future about my second coming and your glorious future too. Yep, Jesus says, you got it right last week. I didn't stutter. I'm going to suffer and die, and so are you. But there is a glorious future that awaits because of your trust in me. And there's some of you here this morning, verse 27, who are going to see that with your very own eyes so you'll know that it's true. I don't know about you. That just raises the hair. I don't have any hair on the back of my head. (laughs) Or my back. But it does give me some shivers. Oh, really? Then what is that going to look like? It looks like the transfiguration. You know, Joelle and I uh, went on a little trip. She ran in the Nationals on Tuesday and uh, didn't qualify for the finals. So we just took a couple of days. And one of the things we did, went to Cherokee, North Carolina, and saw Unto These Hills, the outdoor play. And I spent an extra $3 per ticket, and we were in VIP seats on the front row. <laughs> Big time. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and, and so one of the things you do as a VIP is afterwards you get to go behind the scenes. And they show you all that happens back there behind the curtain. That's what Jesus is saying here. And in verse 28, he tells us who those people are that will get a peak preview of his glory in the kingdom of God. He tells us in verse 28, it will be Peter, James, and John. So let's read with me this morning. Our passage, verse 28, Luke 9. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And he was praying, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So this morning we have the transfiguration of Jesus, this ultimate close encounter. And in that we have the metamorphosis of Jesus, the appearance of Old Testament saints, the yapping of how put it as Peter, and the glory of God in a cloud. So first in verse 28 through 29, 
we have this metamorphosis of Jesus. So the text tells us that a week after the disciples had been hit in some ways with this emotional axe handle about what it meant to really follow Christ, Jesus goes up to the mountain. We don't know which one. Scripture doesn't tell us. There's probably three options, Hermon or Tabor or Meron. Tabor seems the most likely in light of scholars investigating this. But he went up to the mountain to pray, and he takes his inner circle with him, Peter, James, and John. And as he was praying, the text tells us that his face became altered, and his clothes became dazzling white. So in the midst of prayer, Jesus is transformed right in front of Peter, James, and John. Now, as I said, Luke, we saw, uses the word altered. Matthew uses the words, his face shined as the sun. Mark and Matthew use the Greek word metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis to describe, so I'm not making that up, to describe what happened to Jesus, that his physical state changed in such a way that metamorphosis took place. Think caterpillar and butterfly. When, when a metamorphosis takes place, no one looks at a caterpillar and says he will soon look like a butterfly. So something substantial happened here to Jesus, so much so that it was an incredible change to use this word metamorphosis. Luke goes on to say that his clothing became dazzling white. Literally, it says, flash like lightning. Matthew says his clothes were as white as light. And Mark says, check this out, clothes glistened so white that no one on earth could bleach them this white. That you're a person that does laundry. Clorox won't work. This is whiter than that. Now, up until this point, Jesus looked like a human. Jesus looked like a normal Jewish man. His eternal and supernatural body had not been revealed, but now light is not coming down on him. Make sure we get this picture clear. Light is coming from within him. Light like lightning is coming from inside of him. His skin shines through his clothes like lightning strikes is the picture we have here. And we know this. We know over and over the scriptures tell us that God is light and there's no darkness in him. Tells us that God chose light as the way to reveal his eternality to man. That the Lamb of God is the light of heaven, and Jesus is the light of the world. Yes, he appeared as a man, but for this moment, he is revealed as the glory of God. And this glory did not come on him, but from inside of him. This is the same glory. If you remember when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and it says, the glory of God shined upon him, 
And when he came down from the mountain, the Israelites saw that the glory of God was still shining upon them in a, in a, in a way that his face was altered from being in the very presence of God. I say to you this morning, if you've ever wondered who Jesus is, this picture would stop your wondering. <laughs> if you have doubted that Jesus was God in the flesh, this picture of Jesus erases your doubt. This is the supreme close encounter with the living God. But folks, it gets better in this text. We're just starting. Because next we have the appearance of the Old Testament saints in verse 30 and 31. Luke now tells us there's some saints from the Old Testament that come on the scene. And it names them in our text, Moses and Elijah. They show up for this special behind the curtain, this, this preview, if you would, of eternity. And I don't know about you, but when some old cats come back who've been dead a long time, come back on the scene, it's getting real now, right? Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus, it says, about his departure. The departure that was about to take place in Jerusalem. And they, and they appeared also in a divine state. Their bodies were recognizable as themselves, but certainly otherworldly in nature. Moses, as a reminder, had been dead for 1,500 years. Elijah had been dead for 900 years. But now we see they both stand on earth in visible form without the normal earthly restrictions. The conversation is taking place about Jesus' departure. The conversation is taking place about the eternal plan of God, that the Son of God would be born, live a perfect life, die a brutal death, resurrected from the dead, and exit from this earth. The word departure is where we get our word Exodus, that's the Greek word, Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. It, it talks about the departure of Israelites Israelite from Egypt from slavery. He uses this word departure. They're talking about Jesus' exodus from this world and back to eternity where he came and he will sit at the right hand of the Father as the only mediator between God and man. Jesus' death has been planned for all eternity. They're talking about that. Moses, matter of fact, knew that because Moses put in place the original sacrificial system of the perfect lamb, of the perfect goat, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. So he knew the plan, and the prophet Elijah had predicted the plan. It's all right on schedule. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this text, there's a lot of Old Testament cats back there that, that could have been included in this. So I ask the question, why Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham and Isaiah? Why not Jeremiah and Daniel? Why not Joseph and David? As I read this, the text doesn't tell us. 
So we don't know for sure, but here's what we do know. We know that Moses was the father of the Old Testament law and Elijah was the prototype, prototype Old Testament prophet. Together they embodied the spirit of the law and prophets. They covered all. Moses represented the beginning of Israel as a nation, while Elijah represented the nation's completion before their judgment. And check this out. Both Elijah and Moses had very unusual exits or exoduses from this world. Now, I didn't know this. I'm confessing. How many of you know, knew that God was the one who buried Moses in a secret place. How many of you knew that? Raise your hand. You knew more Bible than your pastor. I learned that this week. Feel encouraged. It's the only time you knew more than me. <laughs> yeah. Very unusual. Deuteronomy 34, God buried Moses himself in a secret location. And Elijah was taken directly into heaven, sort of in a rapture, and never tasted death. We see that in 2 Kings. So they both had strange exits or exoduses from this world. And here they are talking about Jesus' exit from this world. Two pretty good candidates. I can imagine Elijah saying something like, Jesus, let me tell you about how I got out of this world. And Jesus putting his hand up and stopping him and saying, bro... I don't even want to hear it because you ain't seen nothing yet, Jack, right? Jesus here, though, is the greater Moses and the greater Elijah. But these two guys serve as Old Testament witnesses to who Jesus is. So if the people of Israel would trust anyone, they would trust Moses and Elijah. Scottish theologian Donald MacLeod put it this way. The attitude of the Old Testament visitors differs completely from the disciples. The cross is all that Moses and Elijah want to talk about. The cross was all heaven was talking about. Even the angels were fascinated. And he quotes 1 Peter 10, 12 that says this. Concerning this salvation, Peter is writing, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you, those who would come to Christ, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Angels were looking and they were saying, the plan is as scheduled. And then, for maybe some comic relief and a little relatability in the midst of this transfiguration, this close encounter, this ultimate close encounter, this, this incredible glory of God, God inserts Peter into our conversation. And we have the yapping of Peter. 
Yapping be a synonym for talking. Oh, how I relate to Peter. All this time, Peter, James, and John, it said, were heavy <laughs> with sleep. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes it's in our advantage to keep our eyes open and not sleep. And I would say one, a sermon is one of those times. <laughs> and just for clarification, I have seen many of you on occasion sleep while I preach. More of you sleep when Monty preaches. <laughs> but I would also think a transfiguration would be a time to stay awake. Would you not? But it says they're heavy with sleep or literally it says heavy with hypnosis. It tells us they just couldn't wake up and it didn't tell us why. And maybe it was from the long hike up the mountain. Maybe it was as it's true of me. It's just true of me when I feel stress and anxiety. My wife has no idea how I'll do this. I go to sleep. Some people can't sleep. She can't. But I'm like, you know, when I'm stressed out, I'm going to curl up and go to sleep and have some sweet dreams. And the best, most spiritual thing I can do is take a nap. So they're, they're sleeping here. Maybe they're under stress from the news they heard from Jesus a week earlier. But as they woke up, the text tells us that, that they saw what, what we have described so far this morning. Moses and Elijah were about to leave, were about to exodus, and they saw the glory of Jesus. D.A. Carson, Dr. D.A. Carson, one of my profs from seminary, put it this way. He said, it would not evidently have occurred to Peter not to say anything. Yeah, it just didn't occur to him, man. That ain't the way that cat rolled, right? I don't know about you, but I think even me in this situation, most of us would have been gasping for breath and curling up in the fetal position if we had seen all that's been described so far this morning. Amen? Yeah. But Peter has some suggestions and some opinions <laughs> about what needs to happen next. First thing Peter says is, Master, it is so good for us to be here. <laughs> Duh, right? In another way, he's saying, now this is what we've been waiting for. To be with you, Master, and to be with Moses, and to be with Elijah, and having this incredible spiritual experience, this incredible spiritual high is breathtaking. This is so much better than all the suffering, and the cross, and you dying, and you leaving us, and us having to pick up our cross, and follow you. Man, this is, this is that's what I'm talking about, man. That's why we with you, right here. It's so good to be here. Let's just stay here. Oh, Peter, man, he's so much like me. And he's so much like us, like you. He loves some comfort. He loves some spiritual highs. But he dismisses the need for day in and day out faithfulness that encompasses 98% of the Christian life. A picture of the Christian life, even as Joel and I are going through the book of 1 Peter, 
One of the things I said to her in the car as we were unpacking the scriptures, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And her being a sprinter, she understands there's a difference between 12 seconds and 20, is it 24 miles? How far is the marathon? 26 miles. Just want to make sure you're not asleep. Walking close with Jesus, as we've always, already acknowledged this morning, in a broken and sinful world. The Christian life, 98% of it is joy in the midst of pain. We at Fellowship Bible Church have chosen to quote Eugene Peterson by describing the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. But Peter, like us, loves the mountaintop experiences. I get it. That's so understandable, but it's not sustainable for the long haul. I was saddened last week. I was more than saddened. Felt like a punch in the gut, a punch in the face. To hear Joshua Harris, Josh Harris, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, longtime pastor of a mega church, much like our church in terms of philosophy, not only left his wife, but said he's no longer a Christian. He's left the faith. He's left Christ. Now the question for Josh is, was he ever a Christian. And if he was, our prayer for him is not one of, it's not punitive, our prayer that he would come home. People do what Josh Harris does because they don't get enough spiritual highs. And they live the Christian life with that expectation not the one that the scriptures give them. So Peter says, let's make this a permanent place. Here's my suggestion. We want to erect three tabernacles. He's getting that from the Feast of Tabernacles. You can do your own research on that. But he said he wants to make a tabernacle or a tent or a dwelling place, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I, I love Luke. Man, this, he just puts it out there. Notice what Luke says this point about Peter. He says, Peter, he don't know what he's saying. <laughs> he dumb as rocks. He's passionate. He cares. But he's dumb spiritually right now. Like, he, Peter don't know what he's saying. Did you see that's in the Bible? And Peter didn't know what he was saying. It's pretty common for Peter at this point. Boy, I love that. Here's what I love. I love the transformed Peter. 10, 20, 30 years later. I'll take a guy like this every time. I'll take a person like this every time. I'd rather ride a wild bull than try to raise one from the dead. 
Peter is that wild bull. And he don't know what he's talking about. And the main error here is that Peter is suggesting a sense of equality between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. That they're all the same. That comes straight from Dr. Daryl Bach, the world's foremost expert on Luke. That's the main error here. That's why Luke included that. We'll see they're not equal in verse 35. Jesus is special and superior to Moses and Elijah. So Peter knew, though, he was experiencing the kingdom of God, and he he wanted to make it permanent. I, I can respect him for that. It's like when you and I die and we spend et- or in eternity with Christ, we will not want to come back. Peter's experiencing something that's supernatural, a taste of eternity with his maker. But at this point, Peter does not know that before there is a crown, there must be a cross. On the ultimate Glory of God, all the ultimate glory of God will come, but it's not here, Peter. It's not now, Peter. This is not it, Peter. This is just a close encounter, a preview to confirm and affirm your faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So when Jesus is killed and leaves this world, Peter, when you are killed and the rest of the disciples are being martyred and you hear about them dying, their blood being shed because they will not deny the risen Christ, you will know for sure. You will be able to hang on with certainty that there is a glorious future that awaits you. And in light of that, you will have the strength to be faithful to the end and persevere. You and I, this text gives us that same assurance. Josh Harris and many others have forgotten this. And then lastly, the glory of God in a cloud verses 34 through 36. (laughs) As Peter was finishing up his yapping, it says a cloud form, and folks, here comes what the Bible calls the Shekinah glory of God, which a short definition is simply the physical manifestation, say it for me. So you're not, not asleep of the presence of God. The same cloud and same manifestation that God led the Israelites by day in the desert. And Peter, James and John, the text tells us we're afraid. And a voice comes out of the cloud and says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God shows up on the scene and says, Peter, Hush your mouth. Quit talking. Make no mistake here, folks. My son is the chosen one. It would do you. And every follower of Christ from this time forward to listen to him. 
He knows what life is. He is life. And when you go outside of him for your instruction, you will destroy your life. Parents, we do this all the time. How many of you parents, just give me a little hand raise, at some point when your kids were small, you put their face in their, your hands, and, okay, and you said to me, listen to me. Did you ever do that? Yeah, a thousand times. Listen to me. I still want to do it. Listen. Listen to me, Josh. Listen, son, you cannot throw your brother in the fire. Right? I mean, you just like, you can do a lot of things. Hit him with a baseball bat, as long as it's not in the head. There's Jess right there. Jess. You cannot throw big rocks at the side of my truck. <laughs> I mean, you can go on and on. I can give you, I, I can go hundreds of those. This is what God the Father's doing to us, his children. In some ways, he's putting our face in his hands and he's saying, listen to my son. This scene caused panic and terror. Matthew 17 says they fell on their face and were much afraid. So terror grips them as they experienced the presence of the living God. They knew God was not speaking to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. These men knew God speaking to us, Peter, James, and John. Now you talk about the reassurances they were about to experience suffering. Talk about reassurances we experience suffering and struggle and pain, talk about doubts fading, confusion clearing up, fear subsiding in the life-giving words of God about his son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. There's a lot of fog that clears when we come that simple. What does Jesus say about this? And then in verse 36... Notice they did not rush down the mountain and tell everyone. In Mark and Matthew's version, Jesus told them to keep it to themselves until after the resurrection. It's a little unlike us when we people supposedly experience some spiritual high. The first thing they do is tweet and go on social media and get them a a brand consultant, write a book. Remember the book came out a few years ago, 90 Minutes in Heaven? And then everybody else reads it and believes it. Didn't happen here. But later, when the time was right, after the resurrection, when it might benefit those who would come after you and me and others, Peter wrote about this encounter in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. Peter writes, for we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
this ultimate encounter stuck a stick of encouraging dynamite into the chest of Peter, James, and John to stay the course, to persevere, and faithfulness, faithfulness was their marching orders. Luke gives not only Peter, James, and John this preview and behind-the-scenes view of what will be the long-term future of every Christ follower in this ultimate encounter. Folks, do you realize doing that, this is God's grace to me and you. To get a glimpse of the supernatural that has things about it that will also be true for you and I in eternity with Christ. It is also for those who don't trust in Christ, for don't believe in Christ. Because when they die, not if they die, and they stand before Christ, one of God's options will be to point to this very passage and say, I tried to tell you, and you did not listen. Reminds me of the Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, who climbed into a rocket. He left this world's atmosphere to become the first man ever in space. You may or may not have heard of him. But he was later quoted as saying, when he got back, I looked and looked, but I did not see God. On the following Sunday, after Yuri Gagarin's voyage into the heavens and his little, little quip, little comment about not seeing God, the famous pastor W.A. Criswell at First Baptist Church in Dallas said in his sermon, if he, Yuri, had stepped out of that space suit, he would have seen God. Yuri died in 1968, and the existence of God has been proven to him. This snapshot is for great encouragement for two purposes. For Jesus himself, that his father would say, I got this. And for you and I, it is worth living for Christ. This is where the majority of our lives will be lived in eternity and in the presence of the glory of God. So this morning, take a minute to ask the question, so what? In light of the truth that you've heard, what must I apply? What must I change? How can I be encouraged? What must I believe? Take a minute to ask that question, so what?